Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, thank God. We're at camp meeting in Kansas. And it feels that way. Hallelujah. Feels good. Had a great service last night. I tell you, I just reveled in it, rejoiced in it, just drank it in, thrilled by it. Amen. There isn't anything that thrills my soul more than to know that the great God of eternity can come down and personally bless me, talk to me, draw me to him, lives in my heart. Hallelujah. These are great things, great honors that the Lord has given to us, great privilege. Praise the Lord. Wonderful days. I believe it. I liked what Brother Cook said last night, something about this being the best days. I can't help but believe the same thing. I've been preaching for 40 years. This is my 40th year. But I don't know of any time that I've been more blessed than I have been in the last few years of my life. Been more conscious of God, more conscious of His presence and anointing. Hallelujah. And the moving of His Spirit the way he's working. Hallelujah. I've been conscious of that. These are the very last days. These are days that, that we need to know where we stand with God. We just can't guess about it. Just can't hope and wish and dream and think and, and uh, imagine. We have to know. Hallelujah. I have no, no confidence in the kind of salvation where you don't know. Hallelujah. I think of Michael Faraday, the inventor of the electromagnet, one of the great scientists of a generation two ago. <clears throat> he was, uh, every afternoon, scientists from all over the world would come and visit him and uh, sit at his feet, great man, as he expounded to them the, the wonders of the uh, scientific areas in which he specialized. But every afternoon, <clears throat> About 3 o'clock, if I remember the story right, he would excuse himself and disappear. And uh, if he was in the middle of a meeting and all of a sudden he realized it was that time, he'd just abruptly leave. No, no apology, just hurry, just get out of there. And uh, this happened every day, and they wondered why. And finally, they decided to follow him. <coughs> So they followed him to the little church around the corner. He went into the church and had an hour of prayer with God every day. Doesn't care if the greatest men of the world sat at his feet and talked to him. He had to get with God. And then when he was dying, they say that uh, when he was dying, they said, "What are your perspectives? What are your what are your what do you what do you think uh, is going to happen?" He says, "I don't have any." He said, "I know whom I have believed." Hallelujah, I know. <laughs> it isn't just a thinking with me. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We can know. Don't have to just think and dream and hope and wish. Brother, there's something deeper than that. Hallelujah. We can know where we stand with God. Praise the Lord. Put our feet on the rock. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead today. <clears throat> Continue on from where we left off yesterday, and if you don't have the chart, you don't need it, but it'd be nice if you had it. So if you'd like one, they're 25 cents. 
And uh, one of you brethren like to take these, and if you'd like one, just raise your hand. This is what we're studying. All right, brother, young brother, right here with the Bible. Come on, that's a boy. Lord bless him. Take these and collect the quarters. Amen. If you want one, just raise your hand. And then I might say, too, that we have our spiritual temperature chart, and this is fairly self-explanatory. Uh, the brother from Word of Flame has them over there. If you'd like to have one, he's leaving this afternoon, so this will be your last chance to get one of those. Very fine study. Praise the Lord. They're also 25 cents. <clears throat> Amen. Today we're picking up from where we left off yesterday. And for you that uh, were not with us the previous two days, we're quickly going to cover this, uh, what, we've co uh, what we've already gone into, just very briefly, and then get right down into the word of the Lord. Is that what you want? Amen. All right. Now, we uh, started. Get another mic over here. This one alive? Yes, alive. I like a live mic. We started our study by showing the necessity for study of the Word of God along these lines. Are you hearing me all right? And uh, <clears throat> the reason is so many times people are tempted of the devil wonder why they're tempted and if we were really saved why surely we wouldn't be tempted anymore have any more problems i had that idea when i got the holy ghost that every problem was automatically solved and i found out it wasn't i still had them i still had temptations i still had fleshly desires that came to my life and so forth and i wondered about it now you're going to have one or two conclusions if you don't know the word of god one conclusion is that you weren't really saved, and that's a lie. The devil says, you didn't get the Holy Ghost. That's a lie. You did get the Holy Ghost. Amen. But he'll like to tell you that you didn't. That's one erroneous conclusion, that you didn't really get it. The second erroneous conclusion that you might come to, which is wrong, is that because now you're saved and you have those desires, that those desires are all right to have. And that's wrong. That's a lie. But people have come to that conclusion. And they've said, now the preacher's wrong to preach against certain sins because I'm saved and I have those desires and I do them, therefore they must be all right. And that's a lie. That's another lie that the devil would try to bring to you and try to destroy holiness out of your life. So these are lies that the enemy tries to bring because you don't understand the Word of God, the teaching of the Word. Amen important that we understand that now since we received the Holy Ghost we have two natures fighting for possession of the same body and that is the basics of this teaching uh, Galatians 5 is our theme text is our study text and I'm going to read it again so that we can start right with the Word of God verses 16 and 17 now once again, I want to remind you that this is written not to the sinner, not to the outsider, not to the man that doesn't know God. It's not even written to Baptists or Methodists or Presbyterians. It's written to oneness, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking people. Amen. Amen. Such as we are here. Notice what it says. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We might paraphrase it this way. If you walk in the Spirit, 
you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, that is brought out in verse, well, uh, 24. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. All right, let's go back to 16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For, means because, the flesh lusteth against or warreth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Now that means that in your life and in my life, we might be filled with the Holy Ghost, we have two natures. Both of them are there, are present. One is called the flesh and one is called the spirit. And these are at enmity against each other. They can never be reconciled. There can never be a truce between them. It is a fight to the finish, a fight to the end. There's a warfare going on in your soul and mine. It's like, as I told you before, the Indian that said, I have a black dog and a white dog fighting inside of me. He was asked, which one's winning? He said, the one that I feed, the one that I nourish. Amen. So you see, we have two natures now. And this scripture would never have been written if the flesh were not still present in your life and mine. And the admonition and the encouragement is, Walk in the Spirit. You don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But at the same time that that is stated, the opposite is true. You can right now, filled with the Holy Ghost, go right back into walking in the flesh. See? Both possibilities are there. And I learned long ago, I have no confidence in my flesh. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh, well, it's no good thing. I cannot have confidence in this flesh nature of mine. I cannot depend on it to stay dead. I can't depend on it to be good. Amen. It is at enmity with God and with holiness. And ev the capability of every sin in the catalog is in that flesh nature. Now, I'm not insulting you when I tell you that you have the capability of committing any sin there is because you've got a nature you were born with that came from the devil who gave it to Adam and he passed it on and it's a satanic nature amen now in the Holy Ghost we're given a new nature James 1 4 whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. Now, God cannot sin. And his nature cannot sin. So the divine nature cannot sin. Amen. Amen. But the natural man, the fallen nature, can't do anything but sin. So we have two diametrically opposed natures. One that can never please God and one that is like God. Because the new man put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See? Amen. Didn't I read that to you yesterday? It's the nature of God. So that 
you in your divine nature, which is imparted to you in the Holy Ghost, have the capability of producing the fruit of the Spirit. But of your old nature can never produce anything that pleases God. I got carried away. You're still standing. Well, let's have a word of prayer right now. Shall we and ask the Lord to move right now and bless our hearts together? Brother Arnold, will you lead us in prayer? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. All right. Now, <clears throat> we found in our first part of our study that the natural man can produce the works of the flesh. And now we mentioned that fig tree is not a fig tree because it bears figs, but it bears figs because it's a fig tree. And so a man sins not because, or he, he's not a sinner because he sins, but he produces these sins because it's his nature. He is a sinner. He is born a sinner. It doesn't take long for a child to produce this kind of fruit, begin to produce rebellion, disobedience, and all the rest. It goes right along. But you don't have to teach a child how to lie. You don't have to teach a child how to uh, lose its temper. It'll do that without you teaching it because it's a nature. It'll come right automatically. So the natural man produces the works of the flesh in his life, and we're told about these in Galatians chapter 5. And this man, of course, is a lost man. There's no hope for him outside of Jesus Christ. But God has a plan to know how to deal with the old nature and bring about salvation in that person's life. And so we found that the first step is, the, is repentance. And in our second picture, the first one, of course, was the natural man. We come in the second picture to the repented man. When a man repents and is baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of his sins, the works of the flesh are cut off. Thank God. It is for the remission or complete removal of his sins that he has committed. This man is clean and free from his sins. But he still is incapable of producing the fruit of the Spirit. He still does not have the divine nature in him because it's only by obeying the promises, the exceeding great and precious promises, which include Acts 2.38, and receiving the Holy Ghost that a person gets another nature to produce a different kind of fruit. Praise the Lord. So you know what's going to happen to this man if this is all the farther he goes. Branches are going to come right out of that old stump again, and he's going to be doing the same thing God forgave him of before. Peter said, I go fishing. That's what the Lord saved him from. Very thing. The sins that dominated your life before you were saved, if you get cold in your soul and lose out with God, are the very things you're going to go back to. Not something different. The same things. That's right. Same kind of fruit is going to come out. So that isn't the end of the plan of God. God's plan is that he plant into you his nature, give you a new nature, amen, which is the nature of God. And so by a process that we call grafting, budding or grafting, a new nature is grafted in, amen, and you are made partakers of the divine nature. 
Now, just as the old nature can't do anything but sin, the new nature cannot sin. So you have two natures. And therefore, the admonition is that now you're to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Because if you live in the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So you have two natures and you're given a choice. And we found out that the choice is yours after you receive the Holy Ghost. Now we emphasize to the sinner, make your choice. But we seldom mention to the saints to make a choice. Because the saints have two natures. And you'll wonder why there's quabbling and fussing in the church and why saints get out of joint and all kinds of things. It's because they're making the wrong choice. And they're dependent on an experience of the Holy Ghost that they got a year ago to carry them now. When the admonition for them now is to live in the Spirit. But they, 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 they say, I got the Holy Ghost. And they expect that experience of receiving the Holy Ghost to carry them through now. When they've got a lower nature, they've fallen right back into living as they did before they were saved. Because they still have the lower nature. And so our study yesterday went into this one, the carnal man, which is the study of how the lower nature or the old man that Brother Westberg mentioned last night and I thought he was talking about me. I wondered, how could he call me an old man? Couldn't figure it out. And he was talking about this old nature, you see, the old man. He said, I'm going to kill that old man. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's right. That's what we better do, brother. We all of us got that old man, I'll tell you. And that's the fellow we've got more trouble with than anybody else. I have more trouble with a fellow that walks in my shoes than any other ten people on the face of the earth. Amen. That's the old man we've got to deal with. Hallelujah. That old nature. That we're born with. So the picture of the carnal man is that this fellow that had received the Holy Ghost, the nature of God in him, was not living in the spirit, but had gone back to living in the flesh. <coughs> now, we dealt with that at length in our study. We dealt with that at length, but we didn't finish it, and there's no way we can adequately and completely finish or complete that study in the short time that we have. But I do feel like I need to touch on a few other things concerning carnality. Because to me, that is the greatest enemy you and I have after receiving the Holy Ghost. And we need to recognize it. The tragic thing is that some people have never recognized carnality when it appears. You talk to them about it and they say, well, I got the Holy Ghost. That was righteous indignation, Brother Gray. That was not the old nature. That was... That was my new nature. That, that was righteous indignation, see. I got the Holy Ghost now. Some people think that just because somebody has a Holy Ghost that everything they do must be all right. I had a, to give you an example, and this is an extreme example, I had a, a woman in the church who was our church secretary. The husband was a fine man in the church. And this was years ago, and a young man came into the church to receive the Holy Ghost was baptized in Jesus' name. And he didn't have a place to stay. And so before I knew anything about it, this family, this husband and wife, had taken this boy into their home to stay there. And it was only a trailer. And it wasn't as near as big as the one we're in. Brother Price and I are in. It's right here on the grounds. Beautiful trailer that you folks are treating us so very well. We appreciate it. But they had taken him into the trailer. And uh, 
as time went on, this young man who was around 20, I noticed was getting very, very thick with that sister who was our church secretary. And uh, it bothered me. And I, finally, I went to the brother about it. I said, do you think it's wise that you have David with you in the little trailer there? You're gone all day to work. Young man doesn't have anything to do but stay in there and your wife's there and so forth. Do you think that's wise? Oh, Brother Gray, they've both got the Holy Ghost. Ah, that was his answer. They both got the Holy Ghost. That's right. But it's one thing to have received the Holy Ghost, another thing to live in the Spirit. Completely two different, entirely different things. It's possible to have received the Holy Ghost like this fellow and drop right back into living in the flesh. See? So he said, Brother Gray, they both have the Holy Ghost. I said, yes, but it sure doesn't look good and I'm afraid. He said, oh, don't worry about a thing, Brother Gray. Don't worry about a thing. But frankly, I did worry, and my fears were confirmed. Before it was over, she left with that boy, walked off from her husband, and lived with him. So, now, having the Holy Ghost is not the only answer. You'd better live in the Spirit. You'd better live in that nature. You'd better allow yourself to to be surrendered. I beseech you, Holy Ghost-filled people, I beseech you with the mercies of God, Paul said, that you present your bodies. You present yourselves wholly to God, every faculty of your being to the Lord, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, if that comes automatically, Paul would never have written that. It doesn't come automatically. It means that every day you live, you need to give yourself to God. Because you've got a nature pulling you down. will destroy you. That's right. And you begin to feed it a little bit on a little diet of TV or novel reading or gossiping or, or suspicion or jealousy or something else. And brother, that thing will come to life as so fast it'll make your head spin and you'll wonder how you could have, you know, you'd just be all... Turned around. Now, many people attribute their carnality to God. Say, I got the Holy Ghost. This must be God. And they make excuses for their, for their foolishness and for their sin and so forth. I say, well, the Lord allowed me to do that. It must be, the, must be God revealed to me that sister so-and-so is, is, is flirting with this other man over here in the church and so forth. There must be suspicions arise and so forth. No basis of fact at all. And they allow suspicions to come. And they even speak in tongues to try to prove that their carnality is of God. But the fruit is not there. It's the old fruit. Now, have you ever, they tell me, you know in the Bible it speaks of the wheat and the tares, and the tares look like the wheat, you know. Until you look at it, you can't tell the difference until the harvest. The Lord says, let them grow until the harvest and then you can tell the difference because at the harvest time, the wheat is heavy with, with the grain and it bends over. But the tear is empty-headed and it stands straight up and you can tell the difference. See? Otherwise, they look exactly the same. They tell me about a man that one time that, that uh, was lost in the woods. 
and he came across a tree that he thought was, uh, uh, or a bush or something, a vine that he thought was berries, and he ate it. They look exactly like berries, but they were poison. He died. And so sometimes we fail to recognize carnality when it appears. And I think one of the very first things you and I need to learn how to do is to recognize and identify the traits of carnality or the self-life, the flesh life, when they appear and not start to make excuses for them. You see, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, and I read that to you yesterday, it says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses, their spiritual faculties exercised to discern both good and evil. Can you discern both good and evil? Can you tell the difference between wheat and tares? Can you tell the difference between a toadstool and a mushroom? Hmm? Now they look, to, to a fellow that doesn't know the difference, they look exactly the same. Can you tell the difference between uh, what is carnal that's putting on a spiritual guise, you know? And folks will sit in the church and they'll be so super spiritual, they'll appear to be spiritual and they'll criticize everything going on. And they'll pretend that this is God, you know, giving them this discernment. And it is not. It's their own carnal nature. Amen. They've got a toadstool on their hands and they think it's a mushroom. That's right. Now this verse tells us that we need to have our spiritual faculties exercised to discern or tell the difference between good and evil. Amen. Now, this is, this is something very important. It's easy for us to pick the flaws in the other fellow. But how difficult it is for you to search out yourself and say, yes, this is carnality here, see, in your own life. You'll find fault with the other fellow doing the same thing you do, but in yourself you'll excuse it. That's why the Lord says, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou judgest, because... The thing you condemn in the other fellow is the same thing you're doing yourself. And you don't recognize it as the carnality of your life that is risen up inside of you. Now let me give you a little something that helped me along this line. And uh, it's traits of carnality or the self-life so that we can identify them. Now, first of all, let's start with a secret spirit of pride an exalted feeling in view of your success or your position. Here it rises up inside of you. See? Because of your good training and appearance, because of your natural gifts and abilities, an important spirit. I'm somebody now, see? You don't recognize that, but that, that spirit is not of God, see? But it makes you feel good. I'm somebody, see? All right? That's, that's where we started. Now let's go to something else. A love of human praise, a secret fondness to be noticed, a love of supremacy, drawing attention to yourself in conversation. I, 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 I. Talk about yourself all the time. A swelling out of yourself when you speak or pray, even when you pray. Yes. Even when you pray. Amen. I thank you, Lord, that I am not as other men are. You remember? Remember what Jesus said? Yes, sir. I thank you. I'm not like that old publican over there. <laughs> Even when you pray? Yes. That's right. 
All right? The stirrings of anger or impatience, which worst of all you call nervousness. Yeah, you excuse it all right. It's easy to do. I just, I just nervous. <laughs> or holy indignation. <laughs> How holy is it? <laughs> a touchy, sensitive spirit. Um, a disposition to resent and retaliate when you're contradicted. I don't like that. <laughs> yes, sir, you want to get back at him. I'll stick him under the fifth rib. <laughs> I'll, I'll gouge him. <laughs> I'll get back. I'll get even. Desire to throw sharp-heated flings at somebody. Then the next one is self-will, a stubborn, unteachable spirit. And I'll tell you this right now. I don't know of anything that will destroy you spiritually more than an unteachable spirit. If you can't be told when you're wrong. Listen, let me ask you a question. Can the pastor take you from being the song leader or being the young people's leader or in some other place where you're in the public eye and sit you down and, and put you to cleaning the toilets without you getting worked up and mad about it? Huh? Can he do that? I'm asking you, can he? How do you feel about it? Praise the Lord. Just think about it a little bit. This is that spirit of unteachable. He has no right to do that to me. Why does he do that to me? I, that's not fair. Well, I'll tell you this. Sometimes it's good for you to be set down a little bit. Amen. It's good to be set down. See what spirit you're made of. See what spirit motivates you, dominates you, that you have. They tell me that uh, years and years ago in Sweden, in the churches in Sweden, if a stranger came in in a testimony meeting, now I, I was told this, I do not know it to be true, in a Pentecostal meeting in Sweden, if a stranger came in and he got up during the testimony service and testified, the pastor would get up and say, sit down, brother, you're out of the spirit. And if the person sat down meekly and obediently, he'd say, all right, come on up, brother, come on up. Got the right spirit. But if he got down rebellious and festered, mad, he just let him sit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's pretty well tells what spirit you're of. <laughs> the Lord said one time, you know not what spirit you're of. Amen. <clears throat> Self-willed, stubborn, unteachable spirit, an arguing, argumentative, talkative spirit. Harsh, sarcastic expressions. An unyielding, headstrong disposition. A driving, commanding spirit. A disposition to criticize and pick flaws when you're set aside or unnoticed. Oh, brother. A peevish, fretful spirit. A disposition that loves to be coaxed and, and honored. And then the next one is a carnal fear. I don't have time to dwell too long on each one of these, but a carnal fear, a man-fearing spirit, a shrinking from reproach and duty, reasoning around your cross, a fearfulness that someone will offend and drive uh, 
away some prominent person. Have you brought somebody to church? And you said, oh, I hope Sister So-and-so doesn't put on one of her fits tonight. Drive them away. Yes, sir. Now, that's, that spirit is not of God. Doesn't God know how to ca carry on his business? You think you can tell the Lord what to do in that service? How to handle things? I'll tell you, folks, we need to feel, realize that God knows how to do his job, how to do the work. And then we have a jealous disposition, a secret spirit of envy shut up in your heart, an unpleasant sensation when someone else prospers. Amen. You see, we don't recognize these things many times as what they are. They're from, they're from this lower nature, this, this spirit of, of uh, uh, feeling that when someone else is blessed and succeeds and prospers and is praised. A disposition to speak of the faults and failings of that person. Kind of downgrade it a little bit, you know. Somebody says, oh, isn't brother so-and-so, uh, isn't he wonderful? Look, he, his, his, his spirit and his attitude and his family and how they come to church together and sit together and worship God together and, I love to see that. They say, yeah, but I know things that you don't know about him. Yeah. You want to downgrade him because, you see, you feel like you're put in the shade when they praise him. You would like to be praised. <clears throat> A disposition to speak of the faults and failings of others rather than the gifts and virtues. You like to run people down because in doing so, you think you raise yourself up. But you don't do that. It doesn't work that way. And uh, then a dishonest, deceitful disposition, the evading and covering up of the truth, the covering up of your real faults or the real reason for things. You know, somebody said that an excuse is a hide of the truth stuffed with a lie. An excuse is the hide of a truth stuffed with a lie. It really is something something that's said to, to hide the real truth. You don't want them to know the real truth, so you give an answer. You weren't at church that night. No, uh, <clears throat> I tell you, I had a headache. Did you? Well, yes, I really did a little bit. Here. But really, the real reason was you wanted to stay home and listen to the Lone Ranger or something else. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they got the Lone Ranger anymore or not. Huh? <laughs> So you justify yourself as saying, well, I did have a little tiny one over here somewhere. Yeah, I got one now. <laughs> I got to make it true, you know. So somehow, <laughs> somehow or other, we find ways, don't we? But they're certainly not of God. That's the old man that wants to dominate your life. <clears throat> the covering up of your real faults, the leaving of a better impression of yourself than is true false humility, exaggeration, straining the truth. Reminds me of what someone said one time about uh, uh, Catholic Church, and I suppose it's true. They were telling how that uh, uh, if a person goes into a monastery, they are to be cut off from their families completely, and that this actually took place. That the family traveled many hundreds of miles to visit their son who was in a monastery. They knocked on the door. The uh, head abbot came to the door and he had on a flowing robe 
with long sleeves, great big sleeves, and he had his hands up his sleeves like this. You know. And so he said, yes, what do you want? I think it was a father and mother, and the father spoke up and said, I'd like to see our son, John, or whatever he was. And he wiggled his fingers inside of his sleeves and said, he is not here, meaning inside of his sleeves. Well, in his own mind, he was saying, he's not in my sleeve. But to that father, he was saying, he is not here inside of this monastery. And the Catholic Church is filled with stuff like that. And some hearts are filled with stuff like that, right, in our churches. Yes, sir. They leave false impressions deliberately. In their own minds, they justify it by saying, I meant something else. I didn't tell the truth. I didn't tell a lie because I meant it this way. But they conveyed a lie because they wanted the other person to believe something that was not so. Still got the victory? Amen. It's, you know, it's hard to say amen when you're on the operating table. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Unbelief, a spirit of discouragement in times of pressure and opposition. Lack of quietness and confidence in God. Lack of faith and trust in God. A disposition to worry and complain. In the midst of pain and poverty or at the dispositions of divine providence. Yes, sir. God didn't answer my prayer. Something's wrong with God. What's wrong with you, God? That's right. God failed me. He led me to do this. He directed me, and then he... Just things didn't work out right. God dropped me there. No, he didn't. He didn't lead you in the first place. Amen. Sometimes we blame God for our own foolishness like Adam did. The woman you gave me, she did this. But you gave her to me, so you're responsible, God. See, God is blamed indirectly. God led me. God is blamed for lots of things that aren't so. God led me to do this, and I'm in this terrible condition I'm in. God led you? No, sir. And then we have the formality and deadness. And I don't know of anything that's deader than the dead Pentecostal meeting. Amen. You see, we don't have anything to resort to when we're dead. We don't have a program to fall back on. We don't have a paid choir, choir director. We don't have all this entertainment. We don't have that to fall back on. We're just leaning on God. Hallelujah. So this formality and deadness, a lack of concern for lost souls, dryness and indifference, a lack of power with God. And then we get to selfishness. Love of ease, love of money, love of self. Cannot bear to be misunderstood or to suffer. Can't bear it. Lose the victory. Somebody looks at you cross-eyed. Walk out of the church. Nobody shook hands with me. Where do these come from? Sometimes they're justified by saying, well, I'm just misunderstood. Or uh, this is just my nature. This is the Irish that's in me. Or this is the Scotch, or this is the German. Yeah, that's right. That's the old nature. That's not the nature of God, that's for sure. 
Praise the Lord. That's not the new nature at all. Hallelujah. So let's recognize the things for what they are. Toadstool's a toadstool. Mushroom's a mushroom. Tear can never be a wheat. Wheat can never be a tear. They're at odds and enmity, one with the other. So learn to recognize. Remember, it says, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even by those who by reason of use have their spiritual faculties exercised to discern both good and evil. Exercise those spiritual faculties that God has given to you. Develop them until you can instantly recognize the stirrings of carnality in your own life, and then you deal with them. Be ruthless about it. Never pet the old man. Don't excuse him. Amen. Now let's go to Romans 8, 5 to 8 real quick, and then we'll move on because I've got some very important things to get into. <clears throat> Romans 8, 5 to 8, I touched on that yesterday, but I want to conclude in a moment or two the study of the carnal man with this. For they that are after the flesh do mind or are interested in or concerned about the things of the flesh. When you're talking to you or somebody talks to you, where do your interests lie? On the sports page, you begin talking about sports. Does it lie in talking about politics, Republican or Democrat? And you get onto that, and that's the thing you revel in, and you talk about it. You love that, to talk in that area. See, They that are after the flesh are interested in and concerned about the things of the flesh. They like to talk in that area. See, That's where their interests lie. See? They that are after the spirit, spiritually-minded people, are interested in, talk about, concerned about the things of the Spirit. You get to talk to them, pretty soon you know they bring the conversation around to the things of God, the wonderful things of the church, and the glory of God, the presence of the Lord, some things in the Word of God and so forth. See, That's, that's a pretty good indication, isn't it? Hallelujah. All right? Then it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity with God. Now this, this natural man is at enmity with God because he is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He will never bend. Now you can, you can try to say, I'm going to get that lower nature fixed up so it's acceptable to God, that anything that comes out of that lower nature can never be received by God, can never please God. Amen. You can... You can fix it up, you can paint it pink if you want to, but it's still not acceptable to God. Amen. So the thing has to die, and we'll get to that tomorrow morning, Lord willing, how to deal with it. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now this leads us to the next step. And by the way, in closing this, let's read one other scripture. I read it before, but I want to read it one more time because... Its application is so, so important here. Job chapter 14, verses 7 to 9. Job 14, 7 to 9. Now you remember through repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, this tree was cut off. The works of the flesh were gone. And somebody says, I'm free from sin, thank God, and they refer back to a time back yonder when they repented their sins and were baptized in Jesus' name. Now notice this verse. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. Cutting off at the time of your uh, repentance and salvation does not prevent this fallen nature that's inside of you from sprouting again. 
Once it's cut down does not mean that once and for all. So the doctrine of eradication is not true. And we want to deal with that a little later too. But notice this, there's hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that the tender branch thereof will not cease though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stock thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. You just let that old man smell that water. Let somebody start praising you. And it'll begin to sprout up. Oh. Yes, sir. Let somebody give you some praise. And you'll feel that rising up inside of you. I want to eat that up. I just love that. Somebody else talk about me. <laughs> the scent of water, it begins to sprout out again. Yes, sir. And pretty soon you're strutting around like a peacock. Think you're the big cheese. <laughs> That's right. And that goes for every bit of that fleshlight. The scent of water. You might reckon it dead, but you start feeding it and watch it revive. You might think it's been dead long ago. I had a man tell me that fell into sin, a preacher. He said, Brother Gray, that part of my life was over long ago. I thought I would never, never have that problem. Long ago, he said, I conquered that. Here it came up in my old age. Through the scent of water, it will bud again. There isn't a time when you and I can stop surrendering ourselves to God. We better never stop. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, what age you are, where you are, where, what your situation is. You think I've conquered that thing long ago. I conquered it. I'll never have a problem again. Oh, but you begin to feed it just a little bit and you watch what happens. You watch what happens. Oh, God, help us. Shall we stand together for a moment and just raise our hands and worship the Lord? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. By your Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name. 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 Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now the carnal man has dropped right back into the old life he lived before he was saved. He is living according to the desires of the flesh, the old nature. Eventually, the engrafted new nature will be smothered out. And he will become a reprobate man. Now, being carnal is the first step to becoming reprobate. Now, a lukewarm Christian did not warm up from being cold. He cooled down from being hot. Do I need to say that again? Think about it. A lukewarm Christian did not warm up from cold. He cooled down from hot. He's on the toboggan down. But he is going down, and his temperature is lowering all the time. And if he excuses himself in his present condition, he is headed for this condition, a reprobate man. 
Now, I'm going to make some statements today that when I say them, you may not agree with them. You may, but you may not. Now, all I ask you to do is when I make them, don't prejudge me. When I say this, I'm going to prove it or endeavor to prove it. And if I haven't proven it, please see me after service. I'm going to make some wild, weird statements right now. You listen to them for a moment. Number one, you can only receive the Holy Ghost one time. One time and one time only. Oh, I know what's happened. <laughs> when I say something like that, I know wheels are spinning like everything. Mother. Just hold steady. Amen. You can only receive the Holy Ghost one time. All right. Now, that's my first one. I'll get to some others later. But you hold with me on this one. Because you see, friends, you know, let me, let me just kind of make a little statement here before I get to proving some of these things. <clears throat> God is a good God. I remember old Brother Denny back in Pasadena who was a missionary in China for many years, knew Brother Haywood, Brother Stud, Brother Yurt, and all those others. I was, my first recollection was on the front seat of Brother Yurt's church in Los Angeles. I was brought up in this. <clears throat> but I remember Brother Denny getting up and testifying. Old man. He'd raise a fist like this, and he'd stand there, and he'd say, God's all right! And he'd sit down. God's all right? God's all right! On God's side, everything's all right. The problem's not with God problems with us God's all right he will forgive any sin that there is in the catalog God's all right he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance God's all right if you repent of a sin he'll forgive it if you genuinely repent God is all right he reaches out after you in love on God's side Everything is all right. If you have any trouble, don't ever blame God. Amen. If you find yourself where you can't repent, God is not responsible for that. If you repent, you'll be forgiven. Amen. I don't care what the sin is. If you are capable of repenting, if you can get to the place of genuine repentance, you will be forgiven every time. God is all right. On his side, he's just waiting for repentance. That's right. Hallelujah. God is all right. Now, don't ever blame God for somebody going to hell. Somebody goes to hell, it's not God's fault. He's doing everything he can to keep you out of hell. Hallelujah. God's all right. Praise the Lord. He's all right. Amen. Now, what is the unpardonable sin if God's all right? Is it that God won't forgive? No, sir. 
No, sir. It's not that God won't forgive. Is it that he can't forgive? No, sir. God can forgive. He's all-powerful. Every sin that a man repents of genuinely will be forgiven. God's all right. But you can get to a place where you cannot repent, where you are incapable of repenting. Amen. There's where the problem lies, not with God. No problem with God. God's all right. Hallelujah. The problem gets with us sometimes, or with you, or whoever it is. There's a problem. You know that a person can, can get to a place where they can't repent? They're incapable of repenting? If they could repent, God would forgive them. Praise the Lord. All right, stay with me. <laughs> We're going somewhere. Hallelujah. Now, how, did, how come that this can be the unpardonable sin then? All right. It's not, the problem's not with God. The problem is that this person has gone on and on and on in carnality, living in the flesh until he has gone to a certain place where the new nature dies. You can only receive the Holy Ghost one time. Now, you just hold steady. We'll take this a step at a time. Let's back off now a little bit. Take the scriptures one by one. First of all, <clears throat> we want to look to Matthew 12, 31 to 33. I know there are those that say this, this was before the cross. That's true. Jesus spoke of this before the cross. Yet I think it is not out of harmony with the other scriptures dealing with this similar subject. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven against men. Now that's where he starts with. He starts by saying God's all right. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven against men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, personally, you know, I, I, uh, I realize that there's a divergence of opinion here, and I'm not going to be so dogmatic on this point that I'm going to dispute with you on this. There are those that say this cannot apply to New Testament experience. Personally, I believe it does, but that's all right. If we disagree on this, we've got other scriptures uh, that bear out what I'm going to be saying. I don't believe that you can sin against the Holy Ghost unless you've received the Holy Ghost in a New Testament sense. So <clears throat> the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, in my understanding, is speaking to people that have received the Holy Ghost. Now, we have a danger. Hebrews brings that out. Let's go to that and keep a finger in Matthew 12. Would you do that, please? And go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, in verses 19 to 25, it speaks of that we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have a high priest over the house of God. We're to draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith. We're to hold fast our profession. 
We're to consider one another to provoke into love and the good works. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. How many believe that's for us today? I do. I sure do. Every bit of that means you and I are to do these things. We're not to forsake the assembling. We're, not, we're to provoke one another. We're to stay fast and hold fast the profession of our faith. We're to, we're to do all these wonderful things. verse 26 for what does that word mean because we're to do all these things because if we sin willfully it's talking to us too don't say it means the nation of Israel no sir if we sin willfully see now we have to understand what willful sinning is we'll get to that in a minute if we sin willfully after after we receive the knowledge of the truth, this experience in God. Now, before we get to the rest of that, you still got another finger, haven't you? Put it in there and go to the sixth chapter of Hebrews. Verse 4. And we'll get back to these others. For it is impossible. Hebrews 6, 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Now, how many knows what that means? You've tasted the heavenly gift. Have you been illuminated and enlightened by the Holy Ghost? Amen. That's us. Hallelujah. That's, that's we oneness, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking people. Praise the Lord. We've been enlightened. We've been partakers of the heavenly gift and partakers. We've tasted the heavenly gift and are partakers of the Holy Ghost. We're made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. How many have tasted the good word of God? Hallelujah. And the powers of the world to come. That means resurrection life inside of you. Hallelujah. You've gotten a hold of that wonderful eternal current of divine life that flows through your being. Hallelujah. And if that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, You've already tasted the powers of the world to come, the age to come. Praise the Lord. Now, if you folks shall fall away. Now, there's a difference between falling from and falling away. If you shall fall away, it is impossible to renew you again under repentance. Why? Because you have crucified the Son of God afresh. Now, how did you crucify the Son of God afresh? Colossians 2.10 says you're complete in Him. In other words, when He comes inside of you, the Holy Ghost comes in there. Jesus said, At that day you shall know that I'm in my Father, He in me, and I in you. This new nature in us is Christ in us. And by carnal living, you nail it to a cross and kill it. You crucified Jesus all over again in your own life. Now, before we get to the finish of this, let's go back to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. 
For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more or no other sacrifice for sins. You see, there's only one, and that was on Calvary. If you go through God's program, there's no other program for you. There's no other. There's only one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Just one. One sacrifice, only one. One way to go and only one. If you go through that, you see, and repudiate the blood, trample it under your feet, and kill out this Christ inside of you, there's no other for you. There's no other sacrifice for sins. There's no other. You've gone through the program. There's none other. Where else can you go? You rejected the only one there is. So it says, if we sin willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no, other no more or other sacrifice for sins, but instead of fearful looking for a judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversary. Now, verse 29, of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy? Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? What have you done? You've rejected the only one. You've trampled underfoot this new nature. You've, you've catered to the old nature. You've allowed it to live in your life. You've put every, fed it, and you've trampled underfoot the other one, scorned it, rejected it. God dealt with you over and over again. You said, no, I'll live my own life. I'll go my own way. You've trampled this other one under your foot. That's right. And you finally succeeded, not in a day, but over a period of time. You finally succeeded in killing out this new nature God planted in you, this precious treasure from heaven, this one made in the likeness of God himself that he planted inside of you. You crucified it all over again, trampled it under your feet. And once you succeed in killing it out, you can never receive the Holy Ghost again. You've gone through it. I know that in our, in our way of thinking, we, somebody comes to a camp meeting like this, they've received the Holy Ghost before, they come cold, they come up and uh, pray through, and they say, I got the Holy Ghost all over again. Well, you got a renewal in God, but you didn't get the baptism all over again. Oh, you say, well, uh, you mean to say that while he was living a carnal life and in sin that he still had the Holy Ghost? Yes, but wait, not to save you. That man was lost, living in sin. But the Holy Ghost was there to convict and deal with him. He can never be the same as he was before he ever came to God. Never. Once a person is born again, he can never be like he was when he was a sinner. He is a different person completely just like a man being married to a woman even though he leaves her he's still married even though he sins against her he's still married and he can't say I'm a single man he's not he's not amen now let me get along a little further you can never enjoy sin like you did before you were saved you're different something's happened to you Reminds me of the two boys that came to our church and wanted me to baptize them. And I wanted them to know what it meant for me to baptize them. So I explained to them, 
And one boy spoke up and he said, well, does that mean that we can't climb the fence and, and, and steal and, and, and take Mr. Burns's oranges and eat them? Well, that kind of got practical. And I said, yes, that's what, that's what it means, right? You're not going to do that anymore. Well, they didn't know whether they wanted to be baptized or not. I said, why do you do, why do you want to climb that fence and go and take his oranges? Said, because they're sweet and good. I said, all right, now wait a minute. I said, suppose you went to your house and your mother had a great big beautiful cake. All kinds of icing and good stuff and sweet and so forth. And you ate a great big piece of cake. Then if you ate Mr. Burns' orange, would it be sweet? He said, no, it would be sour then. All right, I said, that's what you get when you come to the Lord. And when you go back and try to eat that orange again, it's not sweet anymore. <laughs> Is that right? I, I don't want to make Brother Cook feel bad. But he's lived two lives. Two lives. His hands show one life. They show one life. They show one life. He's a different man now. He's a different man now. He used to want to do all this sort of stuff. No more. That's past. That's gone. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He couldn't go back there and enjoy that life anymore. He's a new creature. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Who wants to go into a tattoo parlor after you've had the name of Jesus written over your soul? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand and worship the Lord together. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Glory to God, hallelujah. Glory to God, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank God, hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, you may be seated. When I was pastoring in Turlock in the northern part of California, several years after I had been at Harry Morse's training home in Oakland, while I was there at Harry Morse's training home, there was a lady by the name of Elsie Smith, Elsie King, excuse me, who had been a missionary in China, and she was uh, never been married, and she was a friend to me and helped me as a, as a young preacher trying to get started, feeling the call of God to my soul, helped me with my problems. I went to her problems. She helped me and so forth. It was a wonderful blessing to me. But uh, somehow or other, the devil got hold of her. She lost out. She married a sinner man, and I lost track of her. When I was pastoring in Turlock, on Sunday night, just about ready to get up and preach, the usher came to me and said, there's a lady handed me this at the door, and I opened a little note, and it was from Elsie, and she said, Brother Gray, I need a place to stay tonight. I'm desperate. Would you, uh, would you help me? 
So I sent word by the usher. I said, you have her go back to the parsonage. It was behind the church. And after service, I'll, I'll uh, see her. So I went ahead with the service. And after the service was over, went back to the parsonage, and she was there. And I said, what's the problem? She was all painted up, hair cut. And uh, she says, what's the problem, Elsie? She says, well, I'm, I'm on the lamb. Law's after me. She says, we're engaged in hot car racket, stealing cars. And uh, the police found me and caught me, and they had me in apprehended, and somehow I eluded. I forget all the details. She eluded the police, got away. They're hot after her. She said, I need a place to stay. I said, I can't, I can't hide you from the police. I can't do that. It'd be wrong for me to do it. I'll put you up overnight. You'll have to go on your way in the morning. And uh, I said, now, you helped me when I was a boy, and I needed help. I went to you for guidance and help. Now, I'm going to talk to you like a Dutch uncle. I said, now, you, how could ever the Elsa King I knew back yonder, filled with the Holy Ghost, tremendous inspiration, missionary, saw many souls saved, ever get in this condition? Well, she said, David, I'll tell you. She said, uh, when I turned my back on God and went my own way, um, she said, I just felt that I wasn't going to be able to get married in the church. So I just went out in the world and said, I tried to, to, to uh, enjoy myself out in the world. And uh, so she said, I can remember one time when I went to a dance. I was engaged at the time to marry my husband, a uh, sinner man, of course, uh, but uh, he, he'd gone out of town, so I was lonesome. I went to a dance. There was a young man there that asked me to dance with him. So I got out on the dance floor. While I was dancing, I began to remember the wonderful days at Old Ninth Street Mission. Glory of God's presence, the peace I had in here, and all this joy. And I felt so miserable, so wretched, so terribly wretched, I began to cry. Right there in his arms, dancing around on the floor, dance floor. I began to cry. He pushed me away from him and says, what's the matter with you? She said, I told him. I said, I once was Pentecost. I had the Holy Ghost. I lived for God. I'm a backslider. I'm trying to have a little enjoyment. He looked at me. He said, so am I. And, here, and then he started, burst out crying. Here we were trying to have some fun. We couldn't have fun. We're both as miserable as could be. What made us miserable? What made her miserable? What made her miserable? What made him miserable? The Holy Ghost was still there dealing with them. They were lost on the way to hell, but the Spirit of God was still there dealing with them. Not to save them, but to convict them, to draw them back. God's all right. He tries to pull them back. God's all right. Don't ever forget it. He is long-suffering. God's all right. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. He doesn't just kick folks out as fast as he can. He's trying to save people. That's why you can't enjoy the world out there anymore. He wants to save you, get you back. Can't be happy out there. I said, why didn't you come back? She says, I don't know. I'd give anything to be back. I'm as cold as a stone now, she said. I've 
gone back to missions and churches trying to feel God. I can't feel God anymore. And the Bible says they get past feeling. Past feeling. Can't feel anything anymore. Sit in a Holy Ghost meeting. What has happened? They've trodden underfoot this new nature. They've smothered it out, killed it out. They deliberately crucified it all over again. They worked at it. Time went on, little at a time. Put down that convicting power. Put it down. I'm not going to listen to you. I'll go my own way. Talked to my brother one time. He came to our service. And I said, don't you ever feel God? Don't you ever feel conviction? He said, yes. I said, what do you do when you feel conviction? He said, I go out and get drunk. I said, you're going to kill that feeling out until you can't feel anything anymore. They that being often reproved, stiffeneth their neck, shall suddenly be cut off. What happens? What happens? The old ox is taken, the new ox is taken, the yoke is put on him. And he goes out and they put him to plow in the field. And that yoke chafes on his neck and it gets raw and bleeding. They take it off, let it heal up. And it gets harder. And they put this yoke on and put him out in the field again. And he goes again. It tears some scab and it, it hurts. And they let it heal up. And as it heals and breaks open and heals and breaks open, heals and breaks open, it builds a callus. Harder and harder and harder. Till now he can plow all day in the field and not feel a thing. They that being often reproved and stiffeneth their neck builds up a callus against God, a hardness against God. Doesn't happen overnight. Goes on and on and on and on. Hallelujah. There comes a time when they cross over a deadline. Yes, sir. They can't feel God anymore. They can go all day and not feel God. Come into a Holy Ghost meeting and sit there. The power of God's falling. Can't feel a thing. God's all right. He's trying to reach them. There's nothing wrong with God. Don't blame him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, help us to understand what's happened. You can only receive the Holy Ghost one time. Just one time and one time only. You get renewed and refilled, but you never can be born twice, physically or spiritually. You can never be born twice. One time, God has invested into you his choicest treasure. He's given you the best gift of heaven. He's given you himself. If you repudiate that, persistently go on, trample it under your feet, my friend, you come to a time when you have killed out this wonderful new nature inside of you. There remaineth no more, no other sacrifice for sin. You've gone beyond the only one that you'll ever have. doesn't pay to be carnal. It doesn't pay to live a carnal life. You think you can get by with it? You can't get by with it. There's a hardness begins to set in on you. Pretty soon you'll be excusing yourself for doing it. Pretty soon you'll find ways of thinking, well, it isn't so bad. There's a hardness settles in on you. Yes, sir. The Bible calls it being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's written to Holy Ghost-filled people. Amen. For if we sin willfully, that means go on in the full knowledge of the truth of God that God has given to us and we still persist in sinning, knowing what we're doing. Somebody says, well, how do we know when it's willful sinning? God knows. 
and somehow you know that's right. I may not be able to stand back and say, that's willful sinning, and that's not willful sinning. And there's a difference. I know that. Here's a man overtaken in a fault. That's not willful sinning. He's overtaken in a fault. The fault just came up without him seeking for it, hunting for it, looking for it, wanting it, and it just overwhelmed him, and down he went. Now, that's not willful sinning. It's like a pig and a, and, a, and a sheep walking down a road, and it just rained, and there were mud puddles everywhere, and they slipped and fell into a mud puddle. The sheep bleated and scratched and clawed until it got out of there as fast as it could. But the pig, yes, sir, pig was right at home. Amen. Now, you can slip and fall and make a mistake. The Lord's ready to forgive you just the very moment you repent and cry out to God. If you're capable of repenting in God's name, repent. Yes, sir. If you still feel the wooing of the Spirit, then get right with God and repent and get that stuff out of your system. Live for God. Get in the Spirit. Have a prayer life and be faithful to God. And let the Holy Ghost fill your life and get in this new nature. and Let it develop in you. Hallelujah. Don't let that old nature take over your life. Praise God. But when you get to the place where you're beginning to excuse it, you're beginning to allow it, you begin to feel like it's all right so you can get by with it, you're getting in dangerous territory then. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and worship the Lord again, shall we? Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Help me, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, 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 Lord. Oh, God. In your name, in your name, in your name, in your name, in your wonderful name, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody says, if I can only get the Holy Ghost again. Well, you can't, but you can clean out that well. You've allowed it to be filled with filth and corruption. You've, you've stopped the flow of the living water. You've clogged it up with all kinds of stuff. Get in there and dig it out. There's some things that God will do and some things you have to do. That's right. He says, cleanse yourself. This is written to God's people. Once the Lord has cleansed you, back yonder, you come into the church and you clog it up, you have to get in and dig it out. You've allowed this filth and accumulation in there. Get in there and clean that well out. And it'll spring up again. It isn't a new Holy Ghost you get. It's the same one. But you've clogged it and prevented it from working in your life and hindering you. Get in there and clean the stuff out and repent of it. It'll flow again. Hallelujah. It'll flow again. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God. God's all right. <laughs> yes, he is. He's all right. Praise the Lord. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God. All right. You may be seated. Let's go back to Matthew. 
chapter 12 now. <clears throat> Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven against men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age nor in the age to come. <clears throat> so here is where you deliberately, I don't mean just saying a word, it's deliberately taking a course of blasphemy against God, which means to turn your life into a set course against God. Sometimes we have the wrong idea of what words mean in scriptural sense. For instance, it says Esau was a profane man. That doesn't mean he went around saying cuss words all the time. It doesn't mean that at all. We say that's profanity. Esau must have been just a cussing every other word. No, that isn't necessarily so. When you say he was a profane man, it means that he was not, he, he lived in the flesh. He was, he was a fleshly man. He was... Uh, he was not interested in spiritual things at all, see? He wasn't interested in spiritual matters. He might have been moral, he might have been good in many ways, but he sure wasn't interested in God. And, he's, and, and you know, it's like this, this scripture that says, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. One man went to his pastor one time and said, I can't understand that, brother. I can't understand it, it bothers me. Where God said, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Well, the pastor said, uh, what part of that verse bothers you? He said, the part that says, Esau have I hated. I can't understand how God could say that. The pastor said, that doesn't bother me. He said, the part that bothers me is the first part. I can't understand how God could love Jacob. <laughs> he was a deceiver. He was a dissembler. He was a liar. He stole from his brother. Talk about it. Think about it. How could God say, Jacob have I loved? <laughs> he ought to hate us all, you know that? There isn't too much good about us to love. But uh, the fact of the case was that in spite of all of Jacob's uh, failures, he still had a heart after God. And in spite of all of Esau's good things, he did not have a heart after God. Now you think about that. That's what made the difference. Esau had many good qualities, but he wasn't interested in God. Jacob had many bad qualities, but he, in spite of it all, he reached out after God. Yes, sir. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There's hope for a man that'll reach out after God. It makes no difference what he's done. Time passes if he has a heart hunger after the things of God. There's hope for that man. But if he gets to a place that doesn't make any difference, well, what do I care so far? Not much hope for him, see. Praise the Lord. All right. Now let's, uh, let's go on to uh, uh, this, this matter of uh, the unpardonable sin for just a few moments. I remember I told you earlier that uh, uh, I was brought up at the, at the front seat of the church, Old Belvedere Tabernacle in Los Angeles, Frank York. I was brought up at the front seat of Old Belvedere Tabernacle, and Brother Frank Ewart was my pastor. And I never will forget when he told a story one time, and it's embedded in my memory. See, he was from Australia, Australian Baptist. And uh, <clears throat> for his health, he went to Canada. And in Canada, the doctor told him he had to come to a milder climate 
So he came to California, and here he heard uh, Brother Durham way back in the early days of Pentecost, and I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and then he got the revelation of the oneness of God. One of the first ones to receive this great revelation and preach it, preach it baptize everybody in the name of Jesus Christ. But I never will forget him telling this story. He said that uh, a girl in Australia found a small spot in her hand, she was alarmed. She went to her physician, and the physician examined her and said, well, it's just, it's just really, it's nothing. It's, it shouldn't bother you much. It's uh, probably some normal, uh, some, something normal that, uh, uh, you know, has a, causes a spot there. It's not anything that, that I can diagnose or anything that I know of. I wouldn't worry about it, see, just, just a spot. But she was alarmed. And she belonged to a wealthy family, so they decided to take a trip. And in the course of the trip, they went to New York. And this, this little um, spot began to bother her. It uh, sort of had a feeling and an itch and a, and, a, and a consciousness around it. It wasn't hurting deeply, but just it, she was just conscious of it, and it seemed to be getting larger. She went to a physician in uh, New York City, a specialist. He examined it, and he threw up his hands, and he says to her, my God, it's leprosy. It's a, it's a very, very virulent form of leprosy, very, very, uh, very, very evil form, very bad form of it. <clears throat> and uh, so she, finally, she was sent by her family to the island of Molokai in the Hawaiian chain and a leper colony there. And as far as Brother York knew, she died in that leper colony. Some nominal Christians, some sub-Christians, even, even sometimes some Holy Ghost Christians get alarmed about some tendency in their lives, some sin in their lives. They go to their pastor and uh, they feel like they've no, their joy is gone. And, and he says like that physician, oh, don't worry about it, just don't worry about it. You know. You know, they have a doctrine over there in some of the denominations. Everybody has to sin, you know. It's just normal. Don't worry about it. It's just something that everybody has to do. I hope you're no different than that. I hope you're no different than that. That's why God gave you the Holy Ghost. Holy means Holy Ghost. The nature of Jesus Christ cannot sin so that if you live in that nature, you will not sin. Praise the Lord. You have the choice. The choice is yours. It's the nature of Jesus. So the pastor says, oh, well, everybody has to sin some, you know. Don't worry about it. Just do the best you can. Nothing to be alarmed about. And so she neglects the warning of God, the conscience that talks to her. She sits in service and God tries to reach her, but according to this reprobate pastor, don't nothing to worry about. She goes on and neglects it. And eventually, she drifts into a life of pleasure, and she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. There are people today, I believe, that have crossed over that deadline. They have lived in their pleasures of the, of the lust of the flesh, and as a result, they've crossed over into that area where they can't come back. Amen. I believe that. 
I believe it with all of my heart. I believe that they've gone past feeling. I'll give you another instance that I knew of. I remember very well when I was a teenager, or, well, I, yes, I was still a teenager, I guess, or perhaps I was in my early 20s. At any rate, yes, I had to be. At any rate, in Harry Morse's mission, there was a young couple that used to sit. She was a dope addict. He was an alcoholic. But they would come to the, it was a rescue mission type situation. They would come and sit in there and be stoned. Right during the service, they would just almost pass out. But I found out that they had been young people in that church years ago. They had been some of the finest young people there was. But when they got married at a very early age, they decided after they were married they were going to have a good time. So they went out into sin, and she took up with uh, narcotics, and he took up with alcohol. And the result was that numbers of years later, when I came along, they were still coming to the church and sitting back there, but they were just passed out almost every day. And uh, I guess I've uh, been up to their apartment a number of times. It was a slum apartment, a flat, cold water flat, up four or five flights of stairs. Smell was awful. I gave them the only Bible they possessed. They didn't have anything on, any food. Many times I gave them food to live on. And he'd sit there with that vacant look in his eyes, and she'd be there off somewhere else. And, and just to think that these folks had the Holy Ghost at one time baptized in Jesus' name. So time went on, and uh, um, Nancy got sick, and uh, she was taken to the hospital, and the ladies of the church went over there and prayed for her and gathered around, prayed for her and stayed with her, and uh, it's quite possible that she repented at that time. I was not there, but it's quite possible she did. I hope she did. I hope she got right with God. But she died the next day, and they came in to make her bed, and they found a sheet of paper that she'd written on. The thorns of which I reap are from the tree I planted. They tear me, and I bleed. I should have known the fruit that comes from planting such a seed. I was a pallbearer at her funeral. <clears throat> While I was there, Brother Morris asked me to preach. And so that Sunday night after the funeral, I preached, and Jack was in the audience. Excuse me, that was, thir that was Thursday or Friday night. At any rate, I preached that night. And uh, while I was preaching, I saw him back there. And for the first time I had ever beheld him, tears were in his eyes and flowing down his cheeks. And I said to myself, as soon as the service is over, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to get him. I made the altar call, and I appealed to him as well as to the others. He never made a move. He just sat there. And so I started to go down to him, but two or three other people grabbed me. I hadn't been around for a year or so, and uh, different people wanted to talk with me. And I kept looking over there, and he was sitting there. And I wanted to break away, and I couldn't break away. And finally, when I did get a break away, he'd gone. So I preached Sunday night again, and he was again there. And I said to myself, nobody's going to stop me this time. So as soon as the service was over, I went down to him. And I said, Jack, come on, come on. He says, if you ever want to go to heaven, you go to where Nancy is, you come to the altar. He said, Brother Gray, he said, do you know, Brother David, he didn't call me Brother Gray, Brother David, he said, do you know, for the first time in how many number of years, I don't know, when you preached Thursday night, I felt God. 
I was sober. I'm sober tonight. But I had never felt God for years and years and years and years. Now, that Thursday night, I felt God. If you had come and asked me to come to the altar, I would have come. Because I felt God for the first time. I don't feel him tonight. I'm as cold as a stone tonight. Nothing I can do tonight. But if you'd have reached me Thursday night, or somebody had, I'd have gone to that altar. Because I felt God. I said, why didn't you come? I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't make myself. He walked out of there. I couldn't get him to come to the altar. He walked out of there. And the last word I heard was that he died with curses on his lips. He crossed. I believe he crossed over. I believe God gave him another chance. God's all right. God's all right. God tried to reach him, did his best to reach him. But somehow he crossed over. Once you receive the Holy Ghost, it's a dangerous thing to sin after you receive the Holy Ghost. It's serious. It's the most serious thing in the world to sin after you receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is something we need to know and understand. Now, not that God's going to cast you away the minute you sin. No, he reaches out after you. Long-suffering. Hallelujah. But if you set your course of action and you persist in carnality, I believe there are folks sitting in our churches that have excused their lukewarmness and their carnality for so long that they're cold and can't feel God anymore, but they've gotten into a habit of coming to church. And they just sit there, don't enjoy the service, don't get blessed, but it's just their habit. They want to be religious, but they're really not saved. They'll be lost. They, if you ask them to testify, they'd get up and say, they're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But they're lost. They're cold. And God can't seem to reach them. The power of God can fall like rain all around about. They can't feel anything. They sit there and kind of even criticize it. See, think this one's out of the Spirit, that one's out of the Spirit. Well, what are you doing this sitting there? Anyhow, you don't feel a thing. This thing scares me when I see that situation developing. Amen. Oh, God. I don't know. I just kind of bared my heart to you today about this. But I feel like that there's one thing we need to know, and that is that there's only one safe way for you and me, and that is to keep on fire for God and live in the Spirit. Keep a prayer life, a consistent prayer life, a life of devotion. Make sure we're in touch with heaven and we're not excusing sin in our life. I wonder if you'd stand with me right now. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us right now, Jesus. Let's look to the Lord together. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we're trusting you, Lord. I don't know how you feel, but I feel I'd like to pray a little bit this morning. Would you like to do that? Would you like to come forward and gather right around here and let's have a little time of seeking God? If you feel that way, come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just draw near to the Lord for a little while. Maybe you want to intercede for some soul that you're burdened about. This is a time to do it. Oh, God, help us today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 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 Oh, Jesus. 